The problems came, but the mountains did not move. This is the journal that we're recording from the tiny mountain state of Andorra as the world around us comes to terms with what the coronavirus outbreak brought our way. Hi there listeners and welcome to the first episode of The Mountains Did Not Move. In this episode we're going to be introducing you to who we are, and what this podcast series is all about. My name is Olga, and I'm joined here by our co-host, Sarah. Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah, and probably as many of you, I am having the feeling that we are going through a quite unique event in history. And that is the reason that we decided to begin this podcast. And there's a clue in the name. So we find ourselves in the Pyrenees Mountains, and we live in a little country called Andorra. And, well, here, much like in the rest of the world, we're currently in lockdown, and that's due to the coronavirus. So we wanted to document for ourselves how it was to live through this situation, and because when we and others look back at what happened, we're going to see things with hindsight. Whereas the way that we're going to be hosting this podcast is talking about our experiences as they happen. Actually, I, I have been following the evolution of the health situation and also of the economical measures and the government response to the whole crisis. Because I am an Andorran freelance lawyer and I am also working for some foreign clients. So at the very beginning of this crisis, I needed to update my clients on what was going on, why all the projects were getting paralyzed uh, at a certain moment. And as I was doing that, uh, at a certain moment, I found that there was a big English speaking community here in Andorra that are most of them residents of the country. And that would really find useful to have some information accessible in English. So this is how, we, are re we realize that it could make sense to make also something available for the whole international community. Because Andorra is a really unique example to talk about. And for the ones who are not familiar with our country, we can start by saying that we are a 40, uh, 468 kilo square kilometers country, which is a really tiny size for a country. And we are just 78,000 inhabitants here. We are placed in Europe, in the middle of the Pyrenees Mountains between Spain and France, and our only accesses are by road through Spain or France, although we also have a medicalized helicopter for our hospital. Also, we are not members of the European Union, and we are a parliamentary principality, which is a political system that is also unique in the world, and which basically we could resume that, uh, in, that we have two princes, which are the president of France and the bishop of La Chaudurgel, and both of them need to confirm our laws when we approve them in our parliament. So this makes a really specific and unique political system. 
Yeah. And this is a really interesting point, I think, because we actually do have our own parliament. It has powers, but there is absolutely no other place like this. And in fact, we've only had this kind of system um, since 1993, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct. Actually, our country is one of the oldest countries in Europe, but uh, we didn't have a constitution until year 1993. So, yeah, it's a a new system that has proved to be uh, working perfectly fine since there, but it's it's very unique in the world. So it's, it's also something that makes very curious international people. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And um, there are also many other things that are very, very specific here. Like, for example, as we are very tiny, uh, we have seven different areas in the country with local governments, but we somehow can work in a certain point as a big city because we are just 78,000 people and we just have one hospital in the whole country, which has like uh, 168 total beds which is something that for our population is great, but it's uh, also a challenging situation for a crisis like this. And just to give a little example, when this crisis started, we had a mechanical ventilation capacity of uh, 16 mechanical ventilators. And uh, I think here the reaction of the country was really fast and very soon we had 20 and later 27 and we are now in 31. So this basically represents that we started having one mechanical ventilator for each 4,875 inhabitants. And we have now one mechanical ventilator for each 2,516 inhabitants, which is a big uh, difference to, to face this crisis. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you attribute this to? Why did it happen so quickly? Whereas, um, you know, in other countries, I think it's a lot more challenging to get them. And of course, the populations that they have to serve are just, um, just way bigger. So why were we able to act so quickly to increase the number of ventilators? Well, I think in Andorra, we had two main uh, advantages. One is that we are a small population, but we are receiving a, high, a very, very high amount of uh, tourism. We are receiving around eight, around 8, 8 million tourists per year, which is a really, really huge amount of people compared to our population. And this means that basically all our infrastructures are somehow prepared to receive these people in. So when people is out, like sadly happened uh, within the last month, um, we have a high, uh, bigger infrastructures that we need for our population itself. So this is one of the reasons. The other one I think is we are a really small country so the decision making and uh, all the processes can be taken more effectively. So that's probably one of the reasons that we have a really fast response. And also, I think our specific situation in the middle of two European countries, because we are not an European country, we are not members of the European Union. So um, that makes us aware that we are somehow alone in this crisis. Although we have very good uh, neighbors, they are helping a lot with the um, medical uh, needs of the country. 
But anyways, um, we are somehow aware that we need to be very efficient and we have to be very proactive on facing this crisis. And I think that makes a big, big difference. Okay. So what's actually happened in terms of the legals since all of this started, which for us, I believe we first um, had another case, I think on the 13th of March. Um, by the 14th of March, we were very rapidly moving into a lockdown situation, which many around the world will find familiar. Well, actually, I think we will have the time to, to talk more in detail about it. But the first case tested positive in Andorra was somehow around the, the 2nd yeah. of March. Still, we were very, very fast uh, to implement the lockdown measures. And one thing that I think is, is very interesting to know about Andorra is uh, when the Andorran constitution was approved on 1993, uh, it already foresaw some uh, possibilities of limiting citizen rights, as we, ha as we have seen in France or Spain, for example. Uh, but we never uh, approved the law to do so, because it was never needed before. So when the, this crisis began and all the countries around were applying, for example, or declaring the state of alarm, we didn't have a law to do so. So we had to react very fastly. Uh, very fast and uh, approve a law uh, of uh, the states of alarm and emergency that, by the way, now is into force, so it could be declared at any time. But um, I think we should be happy as well that for the moment, the government is trusting the citizens to be responsible and to be able to behave according to the measures that have been recommended. And we are basically running here right now, and it's been one month, since the lockdown was recommended, we've been running just on our own responsibilities. Like we are asked to be at home, we are at home. And there is so far, there hasn't been a need to declare a state of alarm to force people to behave uh, as they are supposed to. Okay, okay, okay. And the next step is basically, we feel like we've stabilized the curve now, which will go into um, in another episode to give you the full uh, picture. But the next step for us is um, the fact that we are looking at importing um, almost 160,000 antibody tests. Um, and this is where we started to think, right, you know what, this is going to be very, very interesting to document the situation because of this unique viewpoints we have we just have one hospital you know we can see exactly what's going on yes the sample size is very small but still things here move very fast so could it be a precursor and maybe a learning point for other people and countries around the world um when is it that we're expecting those tests to arrive has that been has that been um, publicized well, the last notice they said is that they were already confirmed and um, already booked, let's say. So we are just waiting for them to arrive. Probably some of them already did. I'm not really sure on that. But I hope that, that they will be testing all the population probably within the next one or two weeks, which is a really good news. And um, I, I agree that the, the, the strategy of Andorra is being quite unique because we have heard in many uh, publications in many other countries that they are estimating that around 20% of the population 
uh, is what we see, but there can be an 80% of the population having passed the COVID or being infected by the COVID that we are not able to detect with the normal measures that uh, are taking but most of the countries in the world right now. So this is just like a maths estimation. And I think a whole testing of Aurora uh, citizens, because um, the number of tests we are ordering should allow to take two tests per citizen in, these, in different moments of time. So we will be able to see how the whole population is at a certain moment and then to recheck it uh, mm -hmm. at a second time. This means that for the first time probably in the world with um, talking about this uh, coronavirus crisis, we will know for a whole population what the status really is, how many people did have this infection. And I think that could help other countries to kind of estimate uh, how, their, how much their population could be infected without being uh, obliged to test all the population, because we are 78,000 is kind of easy, let's say, I don't think it's easy at all, but for sure it's easier for us to test the whole population than it could be for China. Yeah, and so these tests are coming from South Korea, but there's still a feeling that, um, or at least that I've seen, that they're not as accurate as um, obviously a test that's been going for several years would be. What's your feeling on that? Like, how much um, does the health ministry at the moment think that we're going to be able to rely on these tests and build a strategy? Or are they still quite sceptical that um, it's really going to get us to the right answer? Well, you know, I, I have no yep. medical background. So for me, it's still difficult to understand, you know, when they talk about these PCRs and anti antigen antibody detection, what's the difference really, how much, um, I mean, I can understand the difference in the general terms, but I cannot go to detail and, and you know, kind of estimate myself if, if that's accurate or not. As far as I have understood so far, the antibody is pretty uh, accurate. It's like you, you will know for sure if someone had or didn't have the infection. So it's not, we are checking if you have the infection on this moment, but if you already had it and you already built the antibody um, you need to fight it. So I don't know. I think probably no one in the whole world really knows uh, the rates of effectivity and stuff because everything has been built within one month or two months. So um, we will see, but I'm pretty confident that this is something should be working really well. And, and, you know, I know we have very good experts on the government and on the health ministry working on that. So, you know, I completely trust that this, uh, this is a good solution and it, that will give us really good data to work with. Because in the end, this is just to have data and build a strategy with this data. So I think the effectivity or the veracity of the data is uh, a very important point but also how you interpret this data and how you work with it is uh, a different point. And I'm afraid here we will never know if we are on the right path until many, many months have gone and we really see the results. So, yeah, I, I'm pretty curious about how everything will evolve during okay, the next and month. We were looking at our next episode being actually about uh, the health side of things. Now, the other thing that we're going to be concentrating on a lot is obviously the economic side of things and the business side of things. 
Uh, one thing to say about Andorra is that um, a very high proportion of the country's um, income is actually from tourism. So we have some very nice ski resorts, obviously. Um, to that, we have lots of hotels, we have lots of restaurants, and um, we have lots of shops that sell things to tourists. Now that's um, that's really a massive challenge because of course flights are not operating, we cannot move around, all of these resorts are shut. So we're going to be documenting a lot about um, the hope on this side of things because we already see people innovating their businesses, uh, we've seen some really great measures. Um, but what is your feeling, Sarah? I mean, um, do you think that the government or the govern here are really um, looking to make sure that we innovate or what kind of things have they said about um, the future and what support they're going to give? Well, I think, um, you know, here the government is not alone with all the responsibilities. All of us, we need to, you know, uh, try to do something to make the situation better. I don't think this is, uh, you know, uh, like an earthquake that happens, you rebuild and this is done. Probably um, this is something that will change the way we work, that will change the way uh, administrations work and, and that may change many things in our lives. And I think we will all little by little get adapted to that. So I would say that probably the most each of us can do to get adapted to the situation and to make things work for you know, themselves. Uh, it's going to be a success for all of us as a community. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really happy to see that there are already many businesses that are developing uh, new marketing strategies, new ways, and, and we are talking of a moment. We will probably explain it in another episode, but the whole uh, economical activity or a very big percentage of the economical activity has been shut down. So... I think as far as we are able to reopen a little bit, little by little, people will also find new ways to progress and to make the, their businesses work. And of course, we are a community and we will all need to help those who cannot, uh, you know, get ahead as fast as others can, because there are many different of uh, businesses and some people were already working 90% of online. So probably those will be the ones who will be able to help others to evolve. And then some other businesses like the hotel, it's going to be very, very difficult that you can work only online basis. So yeah, we will see, uh, of course, many people will need some help and, and, and I'm happy that uh, I think we are quite, um, unite community uh, where people have shown to be willing to help each other and i was reading right now the email of the international club of andorra saying that they had uh, given a really big amount of money to the government uh, for help and as many many other associations in the country and that makes me really proud of uh, the country where I live and, and the citizens I'm, I'm sharing my life with because I think everyone here is trying to make their best to contribute and for sure if we keep like that uh, yeah, things absolutely. need to work. And, um, I think that's a really big thing to say so we have an international community but um, I think the local community has really stuck in and supported the solidarity funds that were set up by the government and that is to basically collect funds so that we can um, help people to 
to weather this crisis, to buy the things that um, are required, it's raised well over a million euros. Um, I think the banks have given a lot here, even yeah. one of our co-princes, uh, the um, President of France, Emmanuel Macron, I think he put in yes. mm -hmm. 200,000. No idea whether that was personal or government money. Uh, but these are the kind of things that mm -hmm. sort of happen here that really remind you of um, a little village rather than a big metropolis with um, huge, huge, far-reaching octopus tentacles going everywhere. Um, and I think that's kind of the charm of the place. And this is certainly one reason that um, I feel it's nice to share this podcast because everybody somehow knows everybody else in this place whether it's through a connection or two and i think that we're going to be able to print um, something like a concise picture whereas in larger countries of course the challenge is bigger but also the way that you can see what's happening around you is a lot more uh let's say invisible I completely agree. And, and um, I think here that we can all feel very supported by the whole community. So, yeah, the government, of course, is a part of it. They are taking the action. They are living this way because they have to. It's their job. But I think everyone in this society is trying to contribute as much as they can. And if we speak about people not behaving or whatever, it's a really small percentage of the population here. And actually, this fund that you were mentioning is uh, has already raised one million five hundred thousand euros, or a little bit more, from the Andorran society. And I think raising such an amount of money in a moment where anyone knows how their business is going to evolve, how everything is going to work after this, if tourism will come uh, earlier or later, and uh, you know, in, in this point of uncertainty, is uh, it's a really generous gesture yeah, to the that's population. Really Good. Well, listen, I think that that's a really good um, point to wrap up the content, but I, I do want us to um, just give our listeners a quick, maybe one minute introduction of who we are so they have a context and then we can let them know how they can get in touch with us if they have questions for the future recordings. So do you want to go ahead and just let people know um, about yourself, what you do, what um, gets you up in the morning? Yeah, sure. So, well, my name is Sarah, as I said at the beginning of this uh, recording, and I am an Andorran freelance lawyer. I used to work for private companies. Also, I worked for a parapublical company for a time, and I'm now working for uh, several projects, mostly related to companies either uh, establishing here in Andorra or uh, going from Andorra to work abroad. So... Yeah, this is basically why I was so focused on getting the proper information and be very sure of what I was advising to my clients. Because at this point, um, you know, being, being sure of what's going on, I think it gives us all a little bit more of uh, peace of mind. So uh, I think it's very, very important to be up to date to, uh, with the information. And, and also to try to understand what's going around us. So we will be able to react as fast as we can to get adapted to this, because in the end, I think this is the, you know, this is the, what we need to do is getting adapted to whatever the situation is. This is our survival. So Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Good. Well, my turn. Um, so my name is Olga and the surname is Pavlovsky. So you can hear some East European roots. 
Um, in fact, I was born in Russia um, when it was still in the Soviet Union. And with my parents, we moved over to the UK, where I then spent a good 23 years before we slowly started to move over here um, with my partner to Andorra. And that's because we love the mountains, we love to ski. And we found something that, you know, there's never really something that's a paradise every day, but uh, this place is close to that. So I think um, like a lot of people who move here, um, we are very grateful to be here and we love the place and we want to always be, you know, giving back a little bit and telling people about how wonderful this place is. This podcast is certainly a chance to do that. Um, so that is one reason why uh, my background is um, quite strange. I've been um, doing everything from marketing sales to building departments for um analytics to working with NGOs which is what I still continue to do and really love and then sometimes podcasting um, actually about the animal kingdom so all of these things you know they come to some kind of um, let's say um, aggregation in being able to join Sarah and um, run this podcast for a little while as we go through this um, let's see how long it lasts, but I think the message that we're trying to actually share with you is one of the future and certainly one of hope at a time that's quite uncertain. And I hope that that certainly does come through and that there will be plenty of discussion, plenty of ideas and lots of interesting evolution as we find ourselves in a place where the mountains, as we look around, are always going to be the same, hence the name of this podcast. But what is going to happen with our daily interactions as people, that surely is going to change. And I hope for the better. Good. Yeah, I, I think we were all uh, very uh, surprised, you know, by... What, what what happened here and uh, actually everywhere else because if it was something a matter in Andorra then I would be kind of uh, more relaxed about it but the problem is this is a global issue and I'm seeing all the different reactions from the different countries and it's it's crazy it's like everyone is doing the best but it's very hard to you know judge now what's better what's wrong and then um, I think this evolution will talk us a lot of things. So, yeah, I'm really excited of, of being part of this uh, project to somehow, uh, you know, leave this information for the history. I think the occasion is uh, yeah. really Absolutely. worth it. And by the way, we're recording this on Friday, April the 10th. Um, it's meant to be like a living diary as we go through this. And in the, in the next episodes, I'll certainly try to remember to put that date at the beginning of our recording not uh, at the very end <laughs> yeah that's cool, good well, um, we are going to hopefully publish this tomorrow and uh, publish um, a second episode as well so people have something to latch on to and um, I guess that's that's really it for now we just need to sign off and tell people mm -hmm. how it is they can get in touch with us but I'll do that later
Yeah, I think on the next episode, it would be really cool to make like yes. a little review on the health data. So how everything started when we had our first case here, when the lockdown measures were applied for the beginning and how all the cases have been evolving. Because as you said, we are, it seems that we are getting to the peak of the curve, but we still don't know. So I'm really hoping that by the next episode, we can say we are finally yeah. on yeah. our path down. <laughs> Good. Okay. Well, Sarah, thank you ever so much for taking the time and um, I hope you have some nice things planned. Thank okay, you very much. Well done. Have a great day, you too. The Mountains Did Not Move podcast is co-hosted by Sarah Munoz Acosta and Olga Pavlovsky. We thank Georgi Karelyov for his kind gift of music that you hear in each episode. You can find our podcast on anchor.fm slash mountains did not move. And there you can leave us a voice message if you have any comments or questions. Of course, you can find this podcast anywhere that you get your quality listens and finally, you can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Mountains Did Not Move podcast. Thank you for listening and until next time.